You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Pennsylvania Woodsman Podcast Deer Season Special. These bonus episodes revolve around deer hunting stories and experiences from a host of deer hunters. These whitetail hunting BS sessions will be launched every week during the 2023 hunting season, adding fuel to your fire in the deer woods. Be entertained and hopefully learn something along the way. The title sponsor of the Deer Season Special Series is Vantage Point Archery, home to the toughest machined one-piece broadheads made in the USA. VPA products are built to last, which is why they have a lifetime warranty, and if you're not completely satisfied, you can send it back, which I highly doubt will occur. New to the lineup this year is VPA's Omega Broadhead. It combines the features of a single bevel with strength of a double bevel. This broadhead also comes with lay flat sharpening technology. You heard right, a single bevel broadhead you can lay flat and sharpen without a jig. You can find the Omega and all the other broadheads at vparchery.com. The Pennsylvania Woodsman is also brought to you by Radix Hunting, home of the M-Core cell camera, stick and pick camera accessories, and much more. Also brought to you by Vitalize Seed, a one-two planting system designed with diversity and biology in mind, making it the best food plot available. And lastly, by Huntworth Gear, quality hunting clothing at an affordable cost, makers of heat boost technology. This week's guest is the bow hunting fiend himself, Greg Litzinger. Greg and I have a conversation about all the different types of habitats he's experienced over the years hunting in the state of New Jersey as well as Pennsylvania and other parts of the country from hunting the swamps to the pine barrens to the mountains and where his heart is truly hunting in the mountains. However, he has said that some of the biggest challenges he's faced is other habitat types and overcoming those habitat types has been the most fun for him to learn and pursue. We discussed the story of how Greg became the bow hunting fiend and how pursuing a buck that he did not kill with the bow, following it into the firearm season and having it within bow distance of a firearm in his hands and having to choose to let the deer go just because it didn't feel right to kill it with a gun. We talk about crazy encounters he's had on public land, not necessarily with game, but more or less people. And the last thing I want to say is this episode does have a little bit of explicit language in it. So anybody who's offended by that or has children in the car, I recommend waiting another time or turning this episode off. With that, let's get to this episode. So joining me today for this week's episode uh, for another podcast, first time on this one though, from the Garden State, the bow hunting fiend, Mr. Greg Litzinger. Thanks for coming on. Hey man, thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate. It. I I enjoy these stuff, and like we were talking earlier, you know, off air, we were talking about the podcasting world and how you know you've been on so many podcasts and you're well known in the podcasting world, and you're and you were kind of like, why? <laughs> I was like, because well, you're fun to talk to. And you like the deer hunt. And you're yeah. good at it. <laughs> yeah, it's still still. I guess it'll always always be foreign to me. You know, I don't. I just. uh I think there's way better hunters uh, and outdoorsmen out there than myself, but, you know, I just happen to be at the right place at the right time, I guess. Well, let me ask you this. So in all the connections you've made over the years throughout the hunting industry, how many friends do you think you've acquired through that? A lot. And what's great about social media is if you play it right, I guess it's because I guess social media is really like a game at this point. 
you know, you can eliminate a lot of people, you know, like I met like Johnny Stewart, Bo, my buddy Rick up in Long Island, you know, I mean, Adam Miller, Michigan, you know, like Clint through all the stuff. Like I have some really genuine dudes uh, and some girls, you know, some women that they're just nice people because we are about the same, you know, we're in the same lane going in the same space, going the same direction, you know, and it's like, there's some people with egos, as you know, in, in this, you know, hunting space, but it's been, it's refreshing, you know, because like I was telling you earlier, like a lot of my friends, they're not really hunting like they used to. Like we used to hunt all the time. I'm pretty much like a loner now anymore, you know? So it's like my buddy Todd, the, you know, he, he lives here in Jersey. We, we hunt Delaware every year now. And it's like the connections are pretty solid connections, you know, because uh, you can, we're in different places in life, but hunting, we're at the same place in hunting, you know, and it's like hunting and fishing. There's just, just that camaraderie that I don't think you get in too many places. You know, like I, I used to go to a lot of car shows when I was a kid with my friends. It's like the same type of vibe. Like you go to a car show, you just two nice cars. And next thing you know, like you're just talking cars and then you're like instant connection with friends, like hunting, you know, like podcasting and YouTube. Like it's like the same thing, Instagram. And it, it's very, uh, it's nice, you know, it's almost like online dating because you can just eliminate all the people like, nope, 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 yes, yes, <laughs> yes, you know, a lot of similar traits and because I hunt a specific way, you know, and I don't really hunt a lot of private, hardly any private mm -hmm. and like box blinds, like not that I have anything against it, but it's hard for me to connect with people like that because yeah. we're not doing the same thing. Yeah, like we hunt, they hunt, you know, and I hunt, but it's like, yeah, I don't have a electric bike i ride to my box blind you know and it's like so it's nice meeting like-minded individuals you know idiots like myself you know that we uh like i said on the same course and same path through this you know hunting space yeah and i i think that right there for that camaraderie aspect that you brought up i think that's why it's so cool because it, you you network with people you want to have conversations you want to pick people's yeah. brain and like for me where i'm at in my hunting world like i grew up private land hunting i grew up hunting in on food plots and and you know managing properties and that's where i've come from but um i, I still love that like i love science behind whitetails i love the biology and and like i you know i do things with plants for a living i love that stuff but um i've rekindled new interest uh hunting at my cabin and hunting mm -hmm. big woods and learning that so you know it's kind of like fresh to me to just pick people's brains and just get a different perspective on on woods like that and it's it's just it, it, again it's just enjoyable yeah it's uh yeah it's like i said I, i've been fortunate you know and uh, to be in this position I am now, you know, working with a few companies here and there and like getting input on, you know, I feel that people value my, my words and my input on things. So that's always nice. You know, like I've been hunting since I've been 14, I'll be 46 this year. So is that 32 years? Mm -hmm. Like that's depressing when I say it. That's, <laughs> it's just a number. There's good things to come. Well, let me, yeah. let me ask you this, Greg. So, I mean, you've probably done, a uh, uh, hundred times on different podcasts, people ask you, you know, how'd you get started? You know, the talk about the progression of hunting. So I want to skip forward to 
to all, through all that because you've done it so much and people can hear it on other shows. I want to know right now where's Greg at right now. If you're if you're 46 this year and you, you know 32 years of hunting, you've you've come to a certain point in your hunting career that you've probably had different mindset shifts you've probably had some new goals different goals change and stuff i kind of want to dive into that a little bit with you like what are some of the things that you're looking forward to in the in the season you know this season the seasons to come from you know locations or deer or whatever it's um you know it's very you know you you come to a point you've been hunting so long you know and i was a deer killer became you know a, a targeting bigger bucks and now like i said i got like a, a wife and kids so it's like my my priorities haven't changed but the amount of time i can actually be gone you know because when i was really killing some nice deer every year like i was in the woods every day like that's all i did i was working woods then you know i wasn't competing you know archery i was in the woods scouting for deer like i was 24 7 365 so i spent like a decade that was my life that's all i did now I got a wife and kids, and it's like I have more vacation time, but I feel guilty sometimes, like always not being here because my daughter's five, like she's not going to be this age forever. So I'm like, I'm kind of pausing, you know, the, like the long trips, you know, like the five, six, seven day hunts away, and focusing on just I go away for three days, four days, you know, and keep it keep the hunt small in time frame because I don't want to miss anything in at my house you know like i, I want to i'd rather be known as a good dad you know and a good husband than a good deer hunter in, in my in my current uh space so for me it's i want to shoot you know here in new jersey i i've targeted deer in every new jersey is a pretty cool state to hunt um terrain wise like we have a little bit of everything we got some mountains we got big woods you know we have ag swamps salt marshes I've killed a big buck in every one of them except the pine barrens. One deer I've yet to kill, a mature deer in the pines. I've killed bucks in the pines, but never like a two or three-year-old. So my focus these last couple of years has been on the pines, um, off and on. Like I want to I wanna be able to wrap my hand around a, a piney buck. You know? And anybody that doesn't know what a piney buck is, they're just no ag. You know, it's pretty much they just live on sticks and twigs and acorns and browse, you know. So the bodies don't get big and they got funky looking racks. They'll get big, but there's just a, a unique deer. You know, they, they'll kill 160 inch deer in the pine sometimes. And it's just, it's just a crazy rack. There's really no mass to them. It's just like, just chaos. Long, lanky. Like, yeah. I'm like, I, I, I need one of those. I have missed, I've missed two when I was in my early twenties. And it's like, it's like haunting me because it's like, I got swamps here, you know, like that's 20 minutes, 30 minutes from the salt marsh, you know, and it's like, I've killed bucks in the mountains, but it's like, I really want a piney deer. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I'm at. Like I, I want, it doesn't need to be 120 inches. It could be a hundred inches. I don't care. Like it's, it's gotta have a nice body on, you know, a big yeah, body, sure, you know? Yeah. yeah. So I'm not a big inches guy anyway. You know, I just, I want to shoot a deer or see a deer that gets me excited and a, challenges as hard as as hard as i can make it like that's what i'm into right now like i don't want to you know I mean, nothing against you know i've, I've stated this before another podcast and so nothing against the midwest and iowa kansas i'll probably never hunt those states i could care less they it's cool there's big deer 
Uh, it doesn't doesn't do it doesn't make my heart beat like oh man I got to do this like I want to shoot a four or five year old deer in a place nobody can. Yeah, you know, I, and it's like, I like that. And, you, you know, know and it's to like, piggyback what you were saying earlier with about the family aspect, I've I've talked about that so much, and I yeah. really appreciate that because when you're dead. The things people are going to remember are not going to be your deer you killed and the deer in the wall. Everybody forgets those. You know, I, I yeah. killed a big one a couple of years ago. Nobody knows it anymore. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It, it, nobody yeah. cares about the one big buck that I killed two or three years ago. Yeah, I was talking to Kevin Distin, uh, Deer Hunter podcast. He, he was, we were echoing the same thing. It's like, it's cool to be like the guy he is, but I want to be the guy in my daughter's eyes. You know, like I want, I, like, we were riding bikes, you know, she just learned how to ride a bike without training wheels and everything. So we're riding and she turned around and I, I, I put up next to her. And she's like, dad, you're my hero. You're my protector. And it's like that there, that little moment there, like will trump any deer I'll ever kill. You know, yeah. I can kill the world. I can kill five, 200 steer. It'll never trump those little moments that she's at right now. So it's like, for me, it's like, that's, I want to be present for my daughter and my wife, you know, and I said, I don't hunt for a living. So it's not like I'm, this is like my job, you know? So it's like, I hunt still for fun, you know? So. Yeah. It's your hobby and it's, it's a balancing act. It's a tough balancing act. And I, I, I tell you what, the balancing part of it, I have not figured out. So if you have any tips and advice for me, I would love to hear it. That's <laughs> like, I'm like, I have a lot of time off. I've been at my job forever. So, and it seems like the more vacation I get, the less I actually hunt. Cause it's like, wow, we're going here. We're doing this. It's like, I'm in that like full, full blown family mode, you know? And I know in, you know, five years, like my daughter's 10, like things will be different. You know, she'll be, she'll have her own. She'll probably have new heroes, like new, new people in her life that take the tension over. Like, cause I got my stepdaughter, she'll be 12 and she's in that mode where it's like, she spends more time alone than with us. So it's like, I know like my daughter's going to get there eventually. So probably for the next five years, I'll be struggling to find the balance between woods family. And, uh, and hopefully said, maybe, who knows, maybe my daughter will come in the woods, you know, with me. She always says she wants to hunt. Say, like, dad, I got to be 10 and I can go hunting. I'm like, yeah. She goes five more years. I'm like, yeah, you know, but she likes guns more than bows. So I got to work on her about I gotta work on that. <laughs> you got time for that. You got time for that. Yeah. <laughs> you don't do any more gun hunting at all, or did you ever do any gun hunting? Like I, I gun hunt a lot. You know, I did. Like I said in the Pine Barrens, um, with a club in my late teens, early twenties, and then when I got sort of working for UPS, like we can't really take time off from the week before Thanksgiving till Christmas and New Jersey's gun season in December. So pretty much December for the last twenty years, I just work. So it's like my one day off, it's a Sunday usually. And it's like, well, you can't gun hunt on Sunday in New Jersey. So it's like, I just, I mean, the last year I killed with a gun with a muzzleloader, um, it was like a nice eight pointer. I had zero connection with the deer. Deer popped up. I was in the stand for like 15 minutes. My climber climbed up as deer popped up in the overgrown field. I put the muzzleloader up on the scope, you know, dialed in, shot. I felt zero emotions. I wasn't excited. And I was like, yeah, maybe this gun thing's not for me anymore. Like I felt, uh, I felt bad because I was like with the bow, you get like super excited. At least I do. Mm -hmm. But with that gun, the last two gun kills were like, eh, eh. like it was, I wasn't 
in the moment. So I'm like, yeah, I don't need to be here. I've you know, noticed mentally, that trend so many times, Greg, with people. Like, and I, and I, when I say trend, I say I'm saying people that are two generations ahead of me, where they get yeah. somewhere between their 50s and their 70s, and they lose all interest. And I have a very good friend of mine. He's in his early 70s, who um, has very successful, um, self-employed man. Um, and has hunted all over the country and parts of the world. But he told me, he said, I, he goes, I was a late onset archery hunter. I didn't start archery hunting until I was in my fifties. He said, Mm -hmm. and that all stemmed from, he went on an elk hunt he was on multiple big game hunts and shot an elk with a rifle. He said, I got up to it. He said, I not, he said a six by six, beautiful bull elk. The, the, one of them hunts that you dream of. He said, I was not at all excited. He said, yeah. and then when I took up bow hunting, he goes, it was like I was a little kid. He goes, yeah. I-, I couldn't believe what the first time I went and they called the bull in for me. He goes, I was shaking so bad I couldn't pull the bow back. And it's like, that's yeah. one thing bow hunting does that is yeah. different than gun hunting. I still love gun hunting. I'm not yeah. bashing it. But I do think you get to a point where it becomes a little mundane. Well, I know in the the, the only chance I, you know, I knew gun hunting was kind of, in my early 20s, I'll never forget, I was hunting this nine-pointer during both season, the Pine Barrens. I mean, it was a big nine-pointer. And shotgun season rolled around, and back then, I took off the whole week with the club. And I'll never forget, it was cold, extremely cold Monday morning, Monday or Tuesday morning, beginning of the season. This doe come in, this nine-pointer is right in tow. I had this deer at 18 yards. The gun never left my lap. But I was like, I've been hunting this deer. And I was like, and it was the first big deer that sped in, like, right, like a huge, like a... I mean, it's huge outside of any standards, you know, even outside of the Pine Barrens. And I'm like, I don't want my first big deer to be with a gun. So wow. it was like, and I watched this deer. I watched, he, I watched, you know, he, he bred or stuff like that. I was like, I, I just, I don't want my first deer, you know, big buck. You know, I've, I've shot bucks before. We're all little, little dinkers. But I'm like, I worked so hard to shoot a deer with a bow, like big buck with a bow. And I'm like, I can't shoot you. And then he goes on down, you know, and guy in the club actually shot him in the next drive, you know, and I'm like, I go up to him and I'm like, man, I had the deer 20 yards. And he was like, no way. And I was like, yeah, I didn't have my 20 yards with a doe. And I was like, he's with a doe, right? He says, yeah, they bust out of this floor. I was like, yeah, watch him go in there. And I was like, I had him at 20 yards. He was breeding her. He was, he was tending her. And I, why did you shoot him? I'm like, just, I don't, I want to shoot one with a bell that big. I don't want my first one. And it's like, I tell people that story. You're like, you're insane. You're not a deer hunter. I'm like, I'm a belt hunter, I guess. I don't know. Like I, and I'm not mad, you know. Like that's not one of those things where I get like upset over. And I think like I cry over. It's like, eh, well, good for the other hunter, you know. And it's like, so that's where I, you know, I probably, I got the muzzleloader. You know, if I lived in PA, I'd probably be down with the flintlock, you know, something like that because the the challenge that goes along with it, you know, but. We don't have any of that stuff here in Jersey. Well, you can still can, use it in Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like, like I said, with that, you're good with the December thing. You know, like, I'm, yeah. I'm always working. So yeah. it's like, I'm not going to buy a, because they permit you to death in New Jersey. Oh, you want to hunt this? There's a permit. You want to breathe there? There's a permit. There's a permit. It's like, I'm already spending enough because I hunt four zones. They're 30 bucks a pop, you know, and they got to buy the permit bow license. It was like, I'm spending damn near $200 on my home state. And this is one thing I can't understand. As 
this is going to sound terrible. I'm going to say it anyway. As money hungry as it comes across with the state of New Jersey with your hunting license, I cannot fathom the fact that it is two dollars to buy a permit for a bear. Yeah. Now, with archery, we have zones. So it's like if I want to hunt zone like where I live, I'm in zone 27. Let's say I want to hunt the the Water Gap zone five up in North Jersey. I got to buy another permit, even if I'm going to hunt it one time. But I'm like, because the zones don't. You can't be like, hey, I'm going to buy a permit. I can, Let me put three zones on this tag. No, New Jersey's like, up yours for tax man's fucking calling. And you're going to fucking pay to hunt everything. Because, I mean, that one year, I mean, I hunt three different zones, three or four different zones. So it's like, come to permit, it's like, all right, am I really going to get down there to hunt or up there to hunt? So it's like, I got to pick and choose. It's like, and I'll, I'll put a camera up in like zone five. And I'll go check it. And I'm like, Shit went up there in November. You know, it was like that second week of November. It was on fire, but I'm like, I'm not driving up there and buying a permit for three days. Like, but it's like, cool. Like, I wish we could bundle like zones together. Yeah. You know, that would be, cause I know it scares a lot of people off, especially like out of state. Like my buddy from Delaware, cause Delaware's gun season's like during the rut, yep. you know, during November. So he wants to bow hunt New Jersey, but he's like, I can't afford to buy an out-of-state tag and like three zones. I'll come hunt with me. It's like, well, I'll just go hunt the one zone. He, he buys 63 in Pennsville, you know, because it's like it's right over a bridge for him. And there's a few spots to hunt. And I'm like, yeah, that does suck. You know, if you're out of state, you want to hunt with me. He'd have to buy like his buddy lives in Pennsville. So if he wants to hunt with both of us, he's going to buy two permits. He's like, want to go hunt together one time. I got to yeah. spend $30 to hunt with my buddy one time. And I'm like, dude, I live here, man. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's a. It can be a money racket. I mean, that's the world that we're in. But I want to go back a little bit. So you were talking about the all the different places you've hunted deer, you've killed deer, big woods and swamps and yeah. ag and yada yada yada. Um, I'm curious from your perspective. You know, a mature deer, from my point of view, a mature deer is a mature deer regardless. But the the playing field they're on is always different. So was there any playing fields, terrain types that was a little bit harder for you to dive into or once you got into a system of how you hunted deer it all applied to those those setups um i said the, the hardest would be you know the flat pines um you got swamp edges and that's pretty much it you know and new jersey has baiting which adds another wrinkle to the mix you know and and it's a state where you can kill technically kill five bucks a season if you buy all your tags and licenses so the pine barrens is a tough just because it's flat and it's like the same thing there's not a lot of diversity like habitat diversity you know when you do find it usually it's just hammered with people like they'll they, they'll do some control burns and they'll do some light light logging stuff up there you know but everybody talking everybody focuses in on it so you have to literally just walk and walk and like this is where cameras come into play because it gives you the ability you know, to, you know, let cameras soak, you know, because pine barrens or any flatwoods, they're in like three to five day cycle, much like the in PA in the mountains. You know, they're they're never here in an area for more than a day or two and then they're gone, you know, and then it might be a week before they come back. So cameras have definitely helped me narrow down some spots, but it's the most challenging I think for me is the, the flat monotonous terrain. It could be, I mean, just even like the big woods, like the flat big woods is tough. 
mm-hmm. you know, without any, you start adding some terrain and, you know, some diverse habitat, it gets a little easier, you know, because you're going to narrow down some, uh, your choices scouting wise and hunting wise. But monotonous flat terrain is, for me, is, is the most difficult. It's fine to get mature deer, you know, like I, there's deer and then there's mature deer. Like they're mature deer are definitely, uh, a different animal, especially in high pressure areas, as you know, you're from, you know, oh, PA. So certainly. Cool. And terrain, even when it's monotonous, like there's so much monotonous ground in Pennsylvania, but terrain does wonders when it comes to getting yes. deer to the next age class. Cause I think it bar it, it's a barrier for people and there's so many yeah. ways you can hide it. And the, the things it does with your scent and your thermals, uh, yeah. people get busted by deer and they don't even know it you know, all the time in the yeah. mountains. And you got, I mean, you guys, I mean, I've been hiking in PA, like, uh, even certain spots in New Jersey, like the Mount Laurel, mm-hmm. if nobody's ever really hunted that six foot wall of Mount Laurel that just goes for hundreds of yards, like it's a jungle. Mm-hmm. Like if you've never been in there trying to drag a deer out of stuff or walk through it, like it is a, it is something to see, man. Because briars is one thing, cattails, but Mount Laurel is, it's tough. <laughs> it's really tough. It is, and like I get into that more with bear than I do with deer. But I'll never forget. There was a couple of years ago, my my best friend from college shot his first bear, and I was I was the person. It was just the two of us carrying this bear out, and we we got it to a certain point, and I said to him, "I'm like, I know where I'm at, but I don't know the best way to get back to the truck." So we like dropped the the bear dropped mm-hmm. and we, we just took the guns and yeah. i said Let, let's go figure out our our path and i am so glad i did because the direction i headed to go to the truck without the bear was just a sea of mountain laurel and it took forever to get through i'm like i'm so glad and then on the way back i got to reroute the way we wanted to go and it was way yeah. more efficient yeah that's we one year we went up to the mountains i shot a buck shot three deer uh all on the same morning and I shot a pretty good sized buck. Now the buck was killed in a doe, all in different mountains. So it's like we'll we'll drag them up to the same point. And then it's like it's middle of October, so it got really warm that day. I'm like, man, we got to cool these animals down because we are far from where the truck is. You know, like we we had a good 45, 50 minute hike in, and my dad was up there. He's not in the best. You know, he has emphysema, so his level, his outbursts are short. As energy wise, so my buddy Tony, he fell in a hole, twisted his knee. You know, like at the time, like my knees were really bad shape. Um, so it was like we had like three busted up people and three deer down. It was like my buddy actually drove from down here up to help us because my dad, he just he couldn't do it. And you know, like me and Tony, it was just, I mean, we had probably, I mean, the was big. I think she dressed in like 110. Mm. Buck I shot was like 170 or 180, and it was like 150 on the other buck. So we had a lot of meat to drag, and I didn't I didn't know how to quarter up deer. You know, like I would quarter one up now, but back then like I didn't have a frame pack or anything. You know, so it was like I'll you know using a hang on and a small backpack. So it was like we literally had to physically drag these deer down. It was like the worst. Like I hurt for weeks after that trip because every muscle in my body was like, why do you hate me? Because we were dragging in. I'm like, man, we should really just walk down to the truck, probably drive around to this other trailhead. Now it, it's downhill. We'll be good. We'll end up going down in the wrong valley. Yep. So we got to drag it up through this. And it was like, we're going to die out here. We're no water. Like we have no food. You know, it was like, we started dragging at like 9 a.m. We got to the truck. It was like 10 p.m. And it was like, because we're doing like one at a time, you know, it was like, and then my, 
dad had to go get his truck drive around to where we ended up because where we thought we were going it wasn't we're like what are we at and we were nowhere near where we thought we were going to be you know it was like pre-onyx days like i had to, like the, the garmin G- green screen gps i'm like well there's something there's a trailhead this way you got like a marker but you know what it is there's no picture or anything so it was like one of those things it was like man thank goodness for technology because you can see where you're going in real time back then it was just like we're retarded man <laughs> yeah it's one of those was like so this is how it ends <laughs> yeah, now like, i've, I've had a couple of those too it's I shared a story with a buck uh, that I killed a few years ago in the big woods, and same thing. I shot it like nine or ten in the morning, and I didn't get it out and back to camp till like nine, ten at night because I took yep. it the wrong way, and it was a nightmare. Yep. yep, and like that day, I almost stepped on a rattlesnake, so we're on high alert because it got really warm that day. So we're 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 dragging through that blueberry bush. I call it blueberry bush. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's what it is, but it's like the snakes were out all over the place. So it's like we're dragging this deer through stuff. It's like the threat of death is looming over us because it's like rattlesnakes are everywhere and i'm like and like you said this is where it ends like this is where we die and it was like <laughs> awesome it was like we're just trying to find like a like i know there's a cart road over here or like a trailhead oh, no no goddamn trail like we're just making our own trail it was like huh. but yeah my buddy came up he's like i'm at the trailhead like and our phones are dying because nobody had battery backup so it's like we're, we're real conserved with calling on their phone and everything so i'm like man we are not we were not prepared for that whatsoever. And we get done, like, our campground was, like, 20 minutes away. Like, we had to go. And, like, back after all that, you know, we get stopped by the, the state park or game one ranger or whatever he was, answers all these questions. Like, we looked like we just, like, smuggled something across the border. Like, we all looked like death. Had no food, no water. And this ranger just asked us questions. And it was like, man, today's not the day, man. Like, we just need to eat. Like, we're starving. Like, we need water. And he's just... Where'd you shoot that deer at? Oh, that reminds me. And he's going through this whole long story like 20 years ago. And I'm like, Ranger, Ranger Rick, it's not the time. <laughs> Today's not the day, man. <laughs> so um, of all of those different places, you said that the pines are the toughest. But yeah. everything else that you've hunted, do you have a personal favorite or something that's just like, this This is kind of home for me or this one, this one, this one kind of hits well at home here. As far as the place um, you hunt, up north, the northwest corner of Jersey, the mountains. mountains. Um, I'm a I'm a mountain man by in, in my heart. Like I prefer uh, mountains over anything. Cool, you know. Just the height, you know. I, I love hiking and stuff like that. But I got into mountain hunting because I wanted a challenge, mm-hmm. and they said it took me six years to kill a buck in the mountains you know and it was like that's when i was like my life revolved around deer and i shot a doe three years in and i was like one of the coolest experiences i was by myself deep you know i shot this doe right at last light and I had to let her lay because uh well bears you know i've seen a few bears that night so i was like I'm, I'm by myself like i'm just going back to the campsite you know and i'll be here in the morning so i was back in the morning she was right there but I remember dragging her out, you know, it might have been a little about a mile and a half. And it was like, this is, this is where it's at. You know, like it, I just felt at home and at peace, you know, like the whole experiences, you know, and it's, uh, if I had what, if I had to pick one place, one type of terrain I could hunt for the rest of my life, it would be the mountains. I, like, I, 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 I like feel bad mountains. for Midwest people who never get to experience that. Yeah. 
you know, and like when I went out, I was, you know, before my, like my daughter's first born, I was going out hunting with Johnny and Bell and all those guys out there. And it's this big, vast open timber. And it was like, it was like the learning curve was so short because it's like, well, I, I did it up north, you know, and like I got to drive three hours to hunt the mountains, three hours or six hours. Like I'm not fortunate enough to be close to the mountains. I'd probably never leave it, you know, uh, but I'm, it's a, it's a toss up actually, you know, like I love the salt marsh. I love the smell of the salt marsh, you know, as much as I say I would leave New Jersey, I don't know if I ever can, you know, like because it has the marsh, you know, it's got the mountains, you know, it's got a little bit of everything, you know, it would be really hard for me to move to a state that don't have same things that New Jersey has. Yeah, it's part of it's part of home. I mean, the only thing I can say, I mean, we don't have salt marshes, but we got everything else over here in PA, yep. and it's a it's a great state to hunt deer too. Yep. Tell and me, it's about- like, you know, like thinking like I know, like with my dog and older, I'll probably get back into fishing. I used to fish a lot, like go out in the in December, Cape May, and got the stripers. You know, see, like that's a whole just cool area down there. You know, short towns are always like small. Old school, like Cape May is an old, old short town. There's just something to it, you know. It's just neat. See the house, the architecture, the people. You know, when it's not busy season, it's a. It'd be hard to not have that close. You know, I'm. I can be 40 minutes. I'm at the beach, basically. You know, so it's like, it'd really be hard to move. To just say Virginia Mountains or something, because it's like I would lose the ability to have stripers. You know, and I have certain things that we that I have now, but I don't know. I could get taxed out of you know, I could get taxed out of here real quick. <laughs> well, I hope that doesn't happen for your sake. So let's go back to the mountain thing. Um, you said it took you six years for the for till you, you killed the buck. Was uh, was that first one a, a big light switch moment? I mean, if I take you down memory lane, is that one yeah. that really resonates compared to a lot of them? Was there other couple other mountain bucks that really just kind of just Oh man, that one really gets me. That that was probably the first one because I was working two jobs. I was working at UPS in an archery shop, and it was Friday night, and I'm fixing a couple bows. And this guy I worked for, John, I was like, "Man, I'm gonna shoot a buck tomorrow." I was like, "I was like, I'm gonna work Sunday." I was like, "I'm going up to the mountains." And he was like, "What?" I was like, "I'm gonna go shoot a buck tomorrow." And I just knew it was like October twentieth, like seems to be like my day and uh, i called my other buddy up i was like hey you want to go hunt in the morning he's like sure I was like, right, we gotta leave at one because it's a three-hour drive and we were the spot i wanted to get to we had to so we ended up leaving you know like 1 30 in the morning or something drove three hours hiked close to you know an hour and a half in um because i don't want to spook the deer so we had to take the long way in and i set him up overlooking like a little laurel patch with some beds and it started day breaking and I'm like, fuck. So I remember just sprinting up this hill, you know, just going as fast as I can. And I get to a tree and I'm like, man, where's my tree? And like back then it was the old green GPS, you know, I'm like I got a tree around here. And I was like, it's got to be around. It's like a small little saddle. And I was like, you know, I'm walking all around. I'm like, I should get up the tree. So I remember just climbing up. And by now it's like seven o'clock. The video, I got the video on YouTube, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's and sitting there and I like I remember like looking up and I can just see him and he's just come right at me and I'm like oh my goodness this this is it like I knew in my heart night four I was gonna shoot him you know 
shoot a deer. You know, one of us is going to shoot a deer. Like, a, we're, we're in the spot, you know. And that deer came in, left, came in, left. And I was really on top of my game shooting-wise back then. So I'm like, dude, you give me a shot at 45, I'm shooting you. You have 50, I'm taking the shot no matter what. And he left, and he came back. And I remember just shooting him in a heart shot. And he fucking took off, and he ran 50, 60 yards, and did the old you know, backflip. He actually broke two tips of his uh the antlers off mm. and i remember just being like so excited like i almost fell out of a tree you know it was like even with the harness on like i almost literally like fell out of a tree and i remember getting down and running to my running over to the deer you know this is just a, it's the coolest thing it was like <sighs> six years of like work when i say work like so I'm, I'm three hours from the mountains and i would scout i would log eight days up there scouting so that's just weekends because I have one day off. So my life was in the mountains, basically, mm-hmm. you know, for close to six years. It's just mountains, mountains, camping up there, every, just learning everything about the mountains, you know, learn how to use a topo map and a compass, you know, back and forth GPSs. You know, it's like I had a nice, cool uh, experience. But that that deer was a was definitely like a light switch because everything I was thought deer would have did, like it did. Like he was coming back to bed. I was just off some bedding, you know, like a lone bed I found. I'm like, and he was coming right into that bed. So it was like, as it happened is how I pictured it was going to happen. You know, and it was weird. Like the tree I was in was actually the tree I was supposed to be in. So it was like the odds of finding the tree you're supposed to be in, you know, it was like very difficult, you know, even with in the, the big ones for sure. Yeah. Even now with everything, it's, it's still hard to get the exact tree, especially without eye shine or anything. And for me to be in that tree and have everything play out like I thought it was going to play out was like, all right, there's, I, I got this. You know, that was my second, my second or third nice deer. Might have been my second deer. I think it killed one the year before, like in the marsh. So, uh, might have been, yeah, second or third big deer, but it's like all these things were like playing up like in the confidence levels. Like, all right, I got this. I know what these deer are doing, you know, and then, Every year I go up to the mountains, one of us would kill. Whoever I took up, you know, it was like, I won't say it got easy, but I knew that wood so well. And for that time frame, like a, from mid-October, if I went there three people, somebody's going to buck. Or I was going to see it come really close to killing one. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like we're seeing deer. Like, I spent so much time up there. Like, I knew exactly what these deer. Now with no trail cameras. That was a straight woodsmanship. You know, just spending years and hours and hours up there. And it was like, Man, there's something to this, you know, and you, you can see it unfolding in your brain, you know, and then have a buddy kill a deer, same thing. I think they're going to do this. Sure enough, they do that, you know, and it's like, I killed another one. Just I imagine it's going to happen, you know, and then my, my other buddy killed one. So it's, it was like, like I said, that light switch moment where it's like, you, I put the time in and my brain can take that data that I'm seeing and formulate a plan, not just to see deer, but actually kill deer. Yeah. And I think I've lost that. Um, well, let me ask like, you this when you say about losing that, because you brought up a good point I was thinking about. Do you feel now that it is harder for younger hunters or, or hunt people in general if they're newer to it, do you think it's harder to become a woodsman now than it was years ago because of the technology, because we've got trail cameras, because we've got apps on our phone with maps and stuff like that? Do you think it's actually harder to become a woodsman, or is it just the person themselves? 
think it's a combination of both. It, it can be hard because you can be, I mean, I, I always, I always use the phrase, you can date it yourself to death. Like you can have all the data in the world. Um, but you can't actually put it to use. That data is useless. So you still got to be able to interpret things in real time as it's happening. And you can be able to form a plan. Like you can run a hundred, hundred, like I know guys that run dozens upon dozens of cameras. They never kill shit. Mm-hmm. They're sober about the cameras and the data. And it's like, dude, at some point in time, you got to kill something. Like no one cares about your data. Like no, like you're not a scientist. You know, like you, you, you spend all the time in the woods and you're very knowledgeable about deer. But you're not a killer, you know. Like becoming a killer is, especially a mature deer, it's different than um, being a deer you know, hunter. You know, like being a mature buck killer, you're not shooting, you're not targeting does usually. You know, like you you know where does are or everything, but you, you're just wired differently, and it's it's not not everybody's going to get to that point. You know, that's shallow saying that, but. No, it, but it's true, though, and like what you're talking about, one thing that comes to my mind in anything in life, you're talking about practitioners. Like, yes. my, you know, my job um, in agriculture, some of the most interesting people to learn from are farmers who have worked their entire life as a practitioner, and you can learn so much from them, even though I've got a lot of knowledge from the science end of it. You know, you know, as an agronomist and, and working yeah. with different people and learning with all these different universities and stuff like that, that is all great information. But putting it in practice, man, you learn as much, if not more, from that. And I bring that up because I think it's all walks of life. And you put yeah. that into the deer hunting world, a practitioner like yourself and some of those people that you've become friends with and names that we could drop on this podcast that are just great hunters. They're practitioners. They've done it for years, and it's good. So, like, I think about it now from my shoes. Like, I came up hunting. When I started hunting, um, you know, I was doing things hunting before I was 12 years old. 12 years old is a cutoff in Pennsylvania. But my first year hunting, we had trail cameras. Even though they were like the, you know, back in the, the good old days, they were those like big wildlife eyes yeah. from uh-huh. like the Drews used to run. We still yeah. had them at places, and then we went into the – you know, the really old clunky mole trees and stuff like that. And my entire hunting career has had that. And, uh, you know, again, where I come from, we're we're a lot different in where we started because you grounded out public land and I started private land. And one thing I'm noticing is while I'm not, I don't feel like I'm a dummy. I'm not a spring chicken in the woods, but you take some of that stuff away from me. I feel like I've got a a couple more leaps to get up when I'm back up in the big woods and I'm, I'm catching up and I'm learning stuff, but it's that, that woodsmanship gap is just, it's just different. Yeah. I I think what, you know, I call them like phenoms, you know, like if kids, younger kids or, or adult onset, because there's so much, so much information out there now. If you can watch a video and understand what people are doing, that YouTube videos, because back when, you know, when I was 10 years old, there was, there was videos out. Like I'm actually looking, I got the bow hunting October whitetails DVD over here. Like I remember that was like the coolest video in the world. Cause it shows you like real world. They're shooting and they're scouting. They're telling you like, you know, stuff to do to kill deer. And like the deer they were shooting on the video, they weren't big deer by any means. They're nice deer, you know, but it wasn't what you're seeing, like people shooting now. Like their videos I have are very rudimentary. Now they're like the Dan Infault, people like that, that put out all this information out there that we've all consumed. The learning curve is ramped up. You know, if you can take that with a little bit of boots on the ground, like you might start killing deer in, in five years. 
you know, or versus, you know, or three to five years, you know, first man took me 19 years to shoot a Pope and young deer, like 19 years. So it's like, I paid my dues and then some before I killed my first big, I was never like, I'm not a lucky hunter by any means, but I think how my brain works for me, I can use, use uh, the woodsmanship with the camera data to make a good decision. Mm. There's a, a generation there, or even like a lot of adults are, are guilty of it. If it's not on camera, it doesn't exist. Man, you gotta, <laughs> you, you gotta be able to, a camera is just a tool. It's like a bow. It's not going to make you kill a deer by any means. Like you put it out there, like if you put it facing the wrong direction, that deer could be five feet to the right every day. Oh, well, there's nothing there. I'm not hunting it. You still have to be able to interpret something. You know, you still got to be able to like, all right, that rub's fresh. Those droppings are fresh. That's a fresh track. Like the people that can take camera data mixed with woodsmanship, I feel that they can have a better um, understanding of whitetail movement faster than, say, I did in, in, in my upbringing. My, my first experience with what you just said there, I'll never forget. I think it was a few years ago. I still had my, my PA tag, and I was hunting late season. I didn't kill a buck through archery and rifle season. I was trying to kill one with a flintlock. And there was one buck in particular that I would have loved to have shot, um, but we, we had decided we didn't want to shoot him. We, you know, he made it through gun season. Let's see what he does next year. But that deer was just, you know, it was just a distinguishable deer and it was intriguing and I would have loved to have shot him. But anyway, he was not doing anything, uh, in daylight on any camera we had. There was, there was no daylight movement. There was nothing that really got you excited. Like, Oh, I would have a chance to kill this deer yeah. and see this deer. And I'll never forget, like, Early the first week of flintlock season, I, I laid eyes on that deer. He came out, and I watched him. He was a beautiful buck, and I left him go because, like I said, we talked that we weren't going to shoot him, and I, I, I honored that. Um, but when he came out, there was a camera near that location. He never came anywhere near it, and he left and never came anywhere near it, and that was so many cases, and it's like – that was a perfect example of cameras do not tell you everything. It told me the deer was still around, but I mean, every picture was nighttime and there was nothing on a single camera that was daylight active. And that was, a, that was a big eye opener. So you I fast forward to some of the hunting I'm doing now and how I think about that, like getting a picture of where a deer is, even if it's in the middle of the night, but knowing the direction he's coming from, I think that that helps me Yes. Put the rest of the puzzle, pieces of the puzzle together, like you were just saying, with with adding on with sign yeah. and history and everything else. Yeah, it's uh, one thing I've been doing now, especially like in in the flat stuff. You know, there's really nothing forcing deer movement, like monotonous just pines. The deer just kind of roam. Like I do double camera setups. I take my cameras, take them ten yards apart, so it'd be, and I can cover you know 180 degrees, and. Some days a deer over here, some days, you know, when I check the camera, they're on the right camera. But if I only just have one camera, I'm getting deer every three days. But he's literally been coming through that area every day. But that camera just hits that small little window. If they don't trip it, you know, that 20 yards from the camera, you know, like the deer's 40 yards out. You know, you, there might, is there a deer in that picture? Like, I don't know, you know, because it's like something tripped that sensor, but you don't see a deer. Well, he might have went through too fast, you know, or something. So it's like cameras are only giving you, you know, an eighth of what's actually happening in the woods, you so, know, and it's like. So what uh, would you do, like, for, what would you say for new people, young people that are going into this with the the sea of media and 
content out there, and of course it all revolves around technology. What would your your thought be when it comes to being a woodsman? Like th- this is what you this is this is the the foundation in which I want to establish for the type of hunting places that you and I know as home in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and anywhere for that matter, but just that that specific monotonous terrain type. Have to understand tracks um, and uh, like look at tracks, no direction of travel um, and droppings, you know, and you see a track. It's like, all right, like at least for me, you know, I, back in the day, it's like you would just scout the woods until you find a fresh sign then you sat up on it, you know, either sat on the ground back in the day. I was so little when I first started hunting, I couldn't even climb a tree stand. Like I ground hunted because I looked, I was probably like 20 pounds. You know, I can barely pull back 35 pounds. So I did a lot of ground hunting, you know, and you just, I've killed deer by being mobile on the ground, like being, having the ability to move, um, being mobile, you know, is, is the word everybody's using now, you know, just staying mobile as much as possible. If you're a new hunter or, or first couple of years in, spend a lot of time pounding the boot leather, you know, cause you're going to learn the woods, how they're moving. Cause you could, if you in the dark, you know, you go to a tree, you climb up. And you get down, and especially you hunt the same, if you got the hang on or ladder stands, you're hunting that same thing day in, day out. You're not necessarily growing as a hunter. You know, you're, you're, you're relying on a little bit of luck. You might be in the right area, you know, but you know, you're hopefully, you're, you're wishing that deer comes through there, you know, but if you're, you know, scout your way in and, and hunt over here and like try to learn, try to do different things, like ground hunting is un- severely underrated. You know, anybody that watches the hunting public, you know, like I always use reference Zach because he hunts the ground a lot. That Those guys hunt the ground a lot, you know, and they, I won't say they popular, but they made it popular because a lot of people hunt the ground, but you can learn a lot by hunting the ground early season, the rut, late season, because you're constantly, you, if you're bumping deer, you know, you're moving too fast. It forces you to slow down, you know, and then like when you, when you move slow, you can see sign that you might've not seen if you were in a hurry. I got to hurry up to get to my tree. You know, for four o'clock. But if you just slowly inch your way to that area where that tree is, as long as the wind's good, you can hunt the ground. You know, there's really no difference between being in a tree or the ground. So I always tell like new people to spend some time on the ground, like, and spend most of your time scouting. And you get to a spot, you know, the last here in New Jersey, magic hours like PA. It's still the first hour of light, the last hour of light. So you can you still hunt your way into an area. Just sit motionless the last hour of light, you know, and it gets dark, you know, and then next day do it all over again. I like that. And I think it's probably, for me, I know, I I mean, I love being in a tree. There's something about when you get in and the sun rises or you watch the sunset from a tree. I, I get that. So there's probably like this allure or nostalgia or something with a guy to get to my tree and stuff. But I would agree with that. And it's been part of my upbringing and the hunting I was around, it was almost like ground hunting was taboo for different reasons. Not that it can't be done because I have, you know, one of the people, one of my biggest hunting mentors, I mean, he went in his younger years, like he tells stories of some crazy ground hunts and deer he's killed on the ground and stuff. But I never did that because the way we hunted when I was growing up, that was never something I learned to do. So that that's another thing. Like I, the past probably three years, I've dabbled with it a little bit and that's just a, different way of thing it's just a mindset because you're absolutely right it can be done it's hunting but it's just the way you approach it 
is is yeah. a mindset. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look at the white tail drilling guys. What they do on the ground? True. No, so it's like it it can be done everywhere. Like I know some old timers that long bow hunt. They feel that I run into them every now and again. It's two older guys. They feel tree stand gives you an advantage over the deer, so they want to be ground level. Like that's where they're at in their in their hunting career. Tree stands in their minds cheating. Hmm. They don't use cameras. They don't do. They just they're still hunt and ground hunt, and they kill some big deer every few years. Like you run into them, like oh look at this one. You're like holy smokes, like that's a monster. But he's like, you know, on the ground, you know, with a longbow, you know, 17 yards and under. Like that's some cool shit, man. Like that's pretty crazy. That's and, uh, that's something that like I admire greatly. Like that's yeah. the hats off to you. I mean, like my best seasons, I was hunting from the ground. You know, like I mean, I've, I've killed any season where I've tagged out with the bow. You know, both you know permit and regular. Like I, it was all ground hunting on bucks. You know, I've shot a buck at three feet on the ground. <laughs> uh, oh my gosh, tell me about that. That had to be crazy. It was uh, it was November. It was during the rut. It was the first buck I killed in the rut. I, I was probably what twenty-seven, and hunting his beans and they were cutting the beans down so my buddy's like hey they're cutting the beans down so they're probably going to push the deer in the back coming out to the the beans I'm like all right the does everything's probably going to go into this backfield so he had access he knew the farmer so we could it was public behind his house we had to get through the fields and the farmer's like yeah go go so we're set up and he we set up we're, we hunt relatively close he might have been like 80 yards from me so i'm sitting on a stool with big old red oak i think it was i'm sitting there and I'm kind of looking, I can see the beans. And I hear, brr. And I'm like, and I got this big ass tree. So I'm like, I can't move. So I'm like, I'm just leaning into the tree. And all of a sudden, this doe, she walks right in front of me. I mean, like, I could have poked her in the eyes. And she kind of skittered, up, skittered it off a little bit. And I hear, brr. And I'm like, and I can see a deer nose and I see antlers. So I remember just like leaning back. And he turns and looks at the beans because the doe kind of. I remember just pulling back, you know, and getting the full draw all discombobulated. And the deer turns, was kind of coming right at me. I had literally just shot him right in the throat. Oh, my <laughs> like God. I was looking right down the arrow. I'm like, and like the bow's cocked. Like I was shooting as a compound. I'm, I'm holding like a recurve. So I'm pulling back and I'm like, this deer's going to run me over. Like I just seen antler. Like it was kind of he had, he had a nice sweep. It was a nice eight pointer. Like nothing major, but uh, beautiful deer. But uh, I shot that deer right in his throat. You know, looking right at me, and it came out. You know, and and that deer, I mean, I hit him. I mean, hard, blew right through him. I was shooting a, oh, I'll never forget a rocket, ultimate steel. I think. Yeah, they don't make called. those anymore. Blade. I don't think do they? Yeah, three blade, one inch. But the blades were so steep on those things, it they made a huge hole. You know, an entrance hole. It was. I mean, I remember an arrow hit, and I could see blood. I'm like, man, that deer's. You know, he run, runs in field. That deer ran like 400 yards. Really? I mean, like, pouring blood everywhere. And we're like, and like, we're out in the field, and like, the combine's going, and my bike stops the combine, you know? And, uh, the deer ran off, you know, to the, uh, field we didn't have permission to go on. It was a different farmer. And we go up to the hedgerow, like, the, the blood's right there. You know, I was like, I was like, he's in this other field. And the other farmer wasn't very nice. And the guy with the combine was like, just go, man. He didn't make it very far. I, I seen him run across the field, and sure enough, he was just on the other side of the ditch, so he went there and pulled it out. But that was like the cool, it was like, 
late hunt, like after work, it was like, let's just go hunting real fast. And it just happening happened like so fast. But that was, you know, that year I killed, I think four or five deer all on the ground with my belt, does and bucks. Wow. It was like, but every deer outside of that buck, every deer I killed that year, I made a move on that deer to get the shot. I seen them and I made a move to go kill them. They didn't really come to me. It's like being hunting from the ground. Like I said, it gives you the ability to, to make decisions like on the fly, you know, do you remember the first time you tried to do that? Because like the like I would think the first like for me, I haven't done that very much. The first time trying that, I would be like, "Is this gonna really work?" And then it does, and it's like, "Oh, I'm gonna keep trying this." Well, that's a uh, fast forward, uh, you know, 20 years after that one or 15 years, I was up in the mountains. My buddy's coming up, super windy. I'm hunting like two days. I shouldn't even been in a tree. It's so windy. I'm like, I, I'm gonna fall out of this tree. So I remember just climbing down, and I'm near the road, you know coming along this little side of a hill, talking my buddy on the phone, blah, 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 blah. You know, I end, end up finding an old aluminum arrow, Thunderhead, broke off, all faded out. I'm like, man, this is cool. So I put it in my quiver. I was like, man, someone shot a deer, you know, with this arrow because it broke off, like, in the deer, you know. So I'm like, someone killed a deer with this arrow. I was like, that's pretty fucking cool. I was like, I'm going to keep this. And I'm talking to my buddy on the phone. I'm like, there's a buck standing right at me. And it's so windy, and the wind's going this way, like leaves are falling. You know, it's mid-October, October 21st. And uh, he's like, shoot it. I was like, all right. So he's still on the phone. I literally just put the phone in my pocket. And I pulled back, and I went like, at the time I was competing, so like I didn't need my rangefinder. I was like, I think that deer's 35 yards. And the deer's like looking at me, looking all around. Cause I, I don't know why he got up out of that bed, but I literally, you know, kicked him up out of bed, you know. And I shot that deer and pinwheeled him at like 35 yards. <laughs> and I pulled the phone. And I was like, "Yeah, he's dead." He's like, "Did you just shoot that deer?" I was like, "Yeah, you told me to." And I was like, "It wasn't a big buck." And he goes, "Are you serious?" I was like, "Yeah, it was a great shot." And I was like, "Hey," and then it like then it hit me. And I'm like, "Holy shit! I just shot that buck." And I was like, "What happened?" I was on the phone. I was like, I had that weird thing like disconnect from the moment. And then like and all the adrenaline. I'm like, "Wow!" And I go up. Blood was just everywhere. I find my arrow. And I'm like. And then he went like 60 yards, but I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, and I remember <laughs> dragging him to the road. And I mean, shit, you're not. Ten minutes later, my buddy's come up the road. And then, oh, throw him in there. You know, and it's like, well, we're here for another four days. I had to find a, a butcher who would let me hang him. I was like, I don't need a butcher. I just, I just want someone to hang it in the cooler. And the guy was like, yeah, sure. And so I shot him from the ground. And the next night, I ended up shooting the doe. And then my buddy shot a big old hammer. Mm. <laughs> so it was like, you know, a matter of like a, a 30 hour span, you know, we killed, you know, truckload of deer. I was like, oh, time to go home. <laughs> That's the way it should be. Do you have any other, like, what are some of the, the bucks? Like, let, let's, let's go into the, let's dive into a, a big buck or two. Like, is there any buck that you have, whether it's uh, big antlers or just a big story that just like, that's the one that like just always gets me like one buck in particular or two or something like that. Well, that's, um, I said the one mountain buck, it, that was, that was pretty cool because of, like the, the, the experience and like, that was a, we had like a two mile drag out, but we're dragging down the Appalachian trail mm-hmm. and anybody's ever hunted the Appalachian or hiked the Appalachian trail. Like it gets crowded sometimes. And there was these women from Iran. So I got probably two dozen pictures with like women, like full face coverings from Iran. 
Some had full face covering, some didn't. Taking pictures of me and my deer because they never seen a white tail. Really? Like they never, yeah, they never, they didn't know what a deer was. They couldn't believe, like, what, what are you dragging out? You know, they had like broken English and it was like, it's a white tail. So, you know, and that language barrier, but it's like, you see some of them, like, they're touching it, like, never seen a white tail. So, like, they had all these people from Iran and, like, those some people from China, like, straight off boat that spoke no English that were, you know, that, that deer there, my first mountain buck, he's all over the world. Cause I had so many pictures taken of him on that day, like dragging out so many pictures. So many people took pictures of me and that deer and them holding the deer, you know, and then people give them like thumbs up and everything. So like that, me and that deer are all over the world. I don't know if that's good or bad, but that's cool. <laughs> I know me and that deer are, we're in Iran right now. There's a picture of me for some reason in Iran. <laughs> Uh, there again, I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think I've ever heard a hunter in any capacity say those words in a sentence. So that's yeah. unique. <laughs> and my buddy's like, he's like, wow, they're really like taking lots of pictures. I'm like, dude, they've never seen a whitetail. And it was so cool because the the people that were from my rent are living here now. Like we're having a conversation, and they're relaying what hunting is about. Like we eat it because they were asking questions. Do you eat it? Yeah, we eat it. We, you know, and you show pictures of mounts and stuff like that. So these people that, because there's hunting on Iran, but it's like sheep hunting. It's not whitetail. Mm-hmm. So it's like for them to see that and, and be a part of that's pretty cool, you know? That is cool. That's unique. I was not expecting it to take that turn. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and some, you know, they, they look at it as, you know, like uh, the, the Chinese, couple Chinese ladies, they were so excited. They were talking like at a, a rate that I don't know. Like they, they were speaking Chinese, but it, they were so amped up and excited for that deer and what we were doing. What we were doing. Whoa, cat! Come on. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> Almost took the runner with my glass off. <laughs> but uh, they were so excited for that deer, and they were like speaking. I don't know what they were saying, but they were like looking at deer, picking it up, like looking at it, and, like and standing behind, you know, taking pictures. And I'm like, man, that's pretty. Like, never would have thought, because I've had some bad experiences on Appalachian Trail with dragging up deer. Okay. People call me killer, like, Americans. Murderer, killer, but someone from another country that don't know anything about hunting, I guess. They were more into it than actually people that are from here. So it was like, it was a pretty cool experience, because, like I said, I've had bad experiences near an Appalachian Trail with dragging out a deer. I believe, had, I believe that. Like, when I was in college, and some of the people that I would have inter- inter- acted with when in from an international yeah. standpoint like have a class with or you know club yeah. with or eat lunch with or whatever yeah. and they you start asking hobbies about each other and of course the first thing out of my my mouth is i'm a, I'm a deer hunter i'm a i love hunting yeah. and i've never met somebody outside of of the united states that had bad things to say like oh that's cool and they'd ask a million questions yeah. I, I feel like it's almost like a elitist american thing with that negativity to to hunting other countries that they don't have i mean some of these people maybe that you're you and i've had dealings with like on the international world, like they might not have supermarkets they can't go to acme buy their meat like they have a farm they, they might you know have to kill a goat to eat or something you know kill the chicken to eat that day you know or they might go without food so like meat is like a oh well meat's like good and i remember the one the lady from iran they were like does it taste good i was like yeah it's very good it's very healthy very lean not a lot of fat you know and like 
it's like I wish I could have gave them some deer meat, like to eat. They were like they were like really like all about it. And I was like, that's a pretty cool uh, experience, you know. Like not a lot of people's going to get, you know, especially because I've had the, the negative experience on that same trail. And it's like to go from that. I was killed. I was I was told by someone extremely overweight. My husband was overweight. Um, try to be gentle here because people sense it now. Oh, so you don't worry about kids. that here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Their two kids might have been ten years old, severely overweight. Mm-hmm. Like they were like beach balls. You know, you can just go to McDonald's and get your food. You don't need to kill. And really? I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, maybe you don't need to go to McDonald's. Like, and I probably said some more mean things like that. I don't know, but I was trying not to let them get to me. But then, I mean, they were saying some pretty like stuff. I was like, I was like, mm, all right, well. How do you think your burger that I get at McDonald's, how do you think that got there? It had to be killed by somebody. Right? You know, so it's, it's like, amazing like, the disconnect you know, we have in this country. Yeah, it's like meat. In order to eat meat, something has to die. That's just the way it goes. It has to be cooked. You know, it has to be butchered and cooked. Like, there's no, like, this meat just magically arrived on my plate. No, but that's the mentality. But, that's the mentality, and oh my gosh, this is a rabbit hole we shouldn't go down. Because yeah. man, we would start complaining about it big time. Yeah, like I, I grew up that like as a kid, like you're hanging in the backyard. My dad, a gun hunter, you know, like and his bell hunter, you know. So I remember there'd always be deer every every couple of years or every other year. You know, we ate deer meat, so it was like we went fishing. We caught her, we kept our fish, and we ate them. Like that was just the way of life. You yeah. know, my dad's an old farm boy. You know, like. You want chicken, you go grab a chicken and you cut its head off and you pluck it. You know, it's like that's what you did. Yep. You want to make, you know, those new supermarkets, you know, and like my grandmom, she's old, you know, my mom's mom, she's from the hillbilly basically, you know, like, you know, so you, you want meat, you're usually killing it that day or the day prior. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Man, Greg, this has been a lot of fun. I uh, these are some awesome stories, awesome learning experiences yeah. from from you know stuff that you've done over the years, and I, I really appreciate talking. You know, the perspective of yeah. what you enjoy and the ground hunting and some of the deer you killed. And I would have never thought in my my wildest dream that I'd be doing a <laughs> podcast with somebody that was telling me about meeting people from another country like that. Was you? That is that yeah. is really cool. That is really cool. Yeah, it was weird, like that because. It had to be uncomfortable to a sense, right? Well, the ones, there was like a big group, but they were kind of like the same group. They were kind of like separated because you had the women that were fully, is it the burka? Is that what that's called? I, I don't know. Don't what know. It, yeah, but uh, fully clothed except for the eyes. And it's like they were taking pictures like with me. And I'm like, I don't, and it was kind of, I don't have much dealing with, you know, with that environment, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, because usually my, I want to see people's face. I can see their reaction. You know, I can see their view. You can tell a lot by someone's face expressions. And, like, the people that are, like, fully face covered, like, they're talking to me, you know, and I'm like, I have a hard time reading your face. And for me, it's like, I don't, it's not like a, a trusting. I just, it was weird for me. Yeah. It was new. You know, I'm like, all right, cool. But they, some of them were, you know, definitely excited in, in that group, and some were you know, you can tell by the eyes, not excited about it. So it's like you don't know what you're getting, you know, because I can't see your your facial expressions. Yeah, but I mean, to me, it just is another example of how can you how can you not how can you not get excited about whitetails? It's just uh... yeah, yeah, and it's like 
It's whitetail is one of those animals, especially in North America, is probably the animal in North America that most people recognize. Absolutely. Um, it's the most popular game animal for sure. You know, outside of ducks, it's probably the most game, popular game animal. Uh, I, I don't ducks might rival whitetails. I don't know. You could be right. I don't know. I never really thought about that. I guess I would have always thought like, like wild turkeys are 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 very popular hunting. But I I, I would I would have to think about that. Like what my opinion. I I don't. I'm kind of neutral. I don't know what what to think. What would be next in line or right up there? Hmm. Yeah, because I know like I said, just from the like organization standpoint, like ducks unlimited. Like right. there's a lot of duck organizations, especially around here. Cause, like because we got the marsh and stuff like that. So there's a lot of I grew up with a lot of duck hunters. You know, I, I used to duck hunt a lot in high school. That's one of those things, like, if you don't have a boat, duck hunting is awful. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah, it's tough. And I, my thought with boat was that always, that just stood for bust out another thousand. I was never, never really about yeah. that. And I've had too many horror stories. You go out on a boat and motors don't work and getting yeah. towed. And, yeah, I just wasn't about that. Getting stuck in the dark, cold, dark. And it's like, I remember, like, you know, shore hunting birds with my buddy Keith in high school. He used to take his uh, sneak box and everything out in the Avalon and go shoot buffalo heads and brants and mallards, you know, and it's like, well, it's just like, you know, pretty cool, you know, it's like you can hunt ducks in a pond, you know, here and then drive an hour and you're hunting ducks in the ocean, basically. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty, you know, like deer, you know, you very similar, like deer are pretty much everywhere, you know, it's, it's a back on the deer thing, but. I think more people recognize whitetail deer than anything, you know, and like I've been elk hunting and it's pretty cool, but it's not one of the things that like draws me. Like I need to do it every year. Like whitetail is like, I think I missed one season of whitetail because of a shoulder problem and uh, one bow season and all that time, but I'll still hunt woods, you know, like still scouting, you know, still being present in the moment, you know, but yeah, I think whitetails for me is probably it as far as animal species. I'm right there with you. I think the close second for me has got to be black bear. And it's weird. Like early on when I was hunting, like I've been really lucky when it comes to that. Like I've killed two bears in Pennsylvania with a rifle. One when I was 13 years old. One when I was in college. And you know, I I still I've said this before. I'll say it again. I'm not a bear hunter. I I went bear hunting and I got lucky and I've killed bears. But yeah. now for whatever reason, I am just like, it's on my mind all the time. Like I just have it. I gotta kill one with the bow and I want to do it. Yeah. I want to do it no bait. I want to do it man yeah. against beast and like. So that's that's yeah. just my thing. But it, it, whitetails have always captivated me. And I, I mean, that's why there's a million shows and podcasts and articles and stuff like that, because people just, it's, it's an animal that just fascinates us. And it, and it transcends like New Jersey. You talk to a uh, diehard, even say from the Midwest, there's still a lot of like, you talk to a, a true, like a public land grinder in say Illinois. It's like you, you're literally hunting the same type of deer, almost the same type of terrain, you know, some hill country there and, you know, and even in Indiana with the mountains or Kentucky, like you talk to like a true diehard, you know, those grinder type guys, like, yeah, I can, I can get behind that. Like I could meet up with those, you know, like everybody I've met on, on social media that are public land guys, like I can go hunt with them and I know exactly we're on the same page, you know, it's like, you know, like Johnny Stewart, you know, he tells me, you're going to get through here. You're going to see this tree. You'll know exactly when you see it. I know you. You'll find it. Sure enough, I know. So I come through this little, little bend there. I'm like, 
there's that tree. You just know it because the way he explains the tree, and it's like, he's going to come through here, that you can see it, you can read it, you're like, all right, that's the tree he's talking about. Sure enough, you know, that is the tree that works, you know? That's the what woodsman communicating with woodsman is fine. Yep. I've been part of some camps with, with older guys that the same thing when you explain, like I remember uh, when I first started bear hunting and you'd go into some of these mountains and the guys that did it for years and knew the woods really, really well. And they'd be like, you're going to go out this, this crest. And when you get out to this specific point, you can't go past too far. You got to drop down over here. And like you, and, and when yeah. you get there and you see, it's like, wow, they explained it so well. And this is, this is cool. Yeah. And that's a cool, like with uh, hunting camps, like I've been in fishing camps. It's a lot different. You know, I did a lot of fishing camps in my teens, smallmouth fishing, fly fishing, and it's a lot different. But like a hunting camp, it doesn't matter if it's New Jersey or PA. It's the same vibe, same energy. Like a, a, a good hunting camp, you know, like people that have been together for a few years, like a group of guys. I mean, there's nothing like it, Yep. you know, at all. And I think some people, they don't, that's never been part of that. Like it's a, it's something you need to experience. Absolutely. It, it really is. It's, when I went, I shot my last buck in PA with the, uh, those families camp is a grandpa or dad's, whatever, like, but Martana hunting camp. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I've known these guys like my whole life. I've never seen half of me. I've never seen 90% of them, but it was like, boom, 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 boom. They asked me what I, you know, how I killed that deer. And you know, and like the moments that happened and it was like, it was just like, I was in, like, I was like family from that moment. You roll in a deer camp with a big, with a nice buff or buff or deer in general, like you're in. Doesn't matter if it's a spike or it's a 14 pointer. Like if that's a true hunting camp, like you've proved your worth to those people in that camp and you are now part of that tribe, if you would. And, and, and that's a great way to in. describe it. Yeah. yeah and you're, they take you right in. It's like, wow, this is, because yeah, I never really had like, as a kid, I had camps here and there, but we, it was never like, we never belonged to like a club. Like my dad, like we'd go hang out. People we knew had a club, but bunch of guys drinking in a garage you know the guys are hunting together but like a true hunting club man there's nothing like it yeah i just did so it was neat uh this summer i did my 100th episode and i did that on that exact topic i had my two grandfathers 80 years old talking about that exact thing how those camps got started and the traditions that started and like that's that is like that's very core to Pennsylvania. I know there's other states that have that, but Pennsylvania is one where that heritage and the way that deer camp thing, like that's that's deep. Yep, you know, and it's New Jersey. The the culture has definitely changed because uh, the, the the baiting has changed hunting mm. um, community uh, here in New Jersey. Because growing up, we didn't have baiting. Baiting is relatively new for us, and it definitely changed the hunting camp vibes. Except my buddy's got camp. Like I go to it, and it's like every story is like ninety percent of stories. Somebody sitting over bait, and to me, like those stories are like no good in my opinion. Nothing against people that bait. Uh, yeah, it's no just not. Hunting. It's it's not Greg style. Yeah, it's in my opinion no good hunting story that's going to do transcend time is going to start with so there I was hunting over a corn pot. Mm. Like it just doesn't. It doesn't have the same tone. It doesn't have the same ring. That's some old timer that's been, you know, pushing it for 20 or 30 years, telling you how deer move and because that's what deer do. They move a certain way. Now it's like truck hammers, bait pile. And like that is how a lot of uh, some of the clubs around here have become. And it's like, and uh, I'm glad I'm not part of that. You know, yeah. it'd be hard for me to be a part of that club because there's just nothing there for me. Right. Man, I could probably 
bounce back and forth with you all night long, but I want to be mindful of your time and, and your family's time for sure. So thank you for joining me on, yeah, on this show. And uh, anything you want to leave us with, and you know, make sure to, to follow the bow hunting fiend if you aren't already. Yeah, they uh, said that the mountain buff in the first one. There's, it's on YouTube. You can actually see that. You know, you see the post reaction shot. That was uh, six years of emotions coming out in a, a 10 second span so it's pretty cool absolutely but yeah you youtube search on youtube there's some you know instagram youtube yep no facebook so gotcha good deal thanks again greg yeah man thanks